Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show Sunday Brunch Edition. I'm sure many of you are cooking eggs right now. Uh, Many of you are making toast in honor of the SEC defenses because none of them particularly covered themselves in glory. So you make some toast and you can cover it in jelly because that'll make you feel a little bit better if you're a fan of Alabama or Florida or LSU. At least Alabama won. Matt Fortuna joins me. Matt, you just got done recording the Shamrock with your your partner Pete Sampson. You, you were talking Notre Dame. Pete got the game ball <laughs> from the Notre Dame Florida State game. How the hell did that happen? Well, first off, I hope no one's having mayo with their toast, Andy. Uh, I, I am. I thought I was the biggest mayo hater on the planet until I, I listened <laughs> and saw uh, what you had to go through. But that's what you get for uh, putting all your marbles in on Pittsburgh. Panthers well, that, they did it again. They missed yeah. an extra point in overtime. From a guy who a 58 yarder to, to tie it. <laughs> and everybody's asking me if I'm going to eat more mayo. I'm like, no. I learned my lesson last week. That's never happening again. My body was protecting me by retching. As I it, hate, like the I second hate, the mayo, mayo hit me, I absolutely hate it. There's no I, I'm glad you're on my team. Uh, what were you? Oh, Florida State Notre Dame. Yes, actual football and not uh, bad food talk. <laughs> But, but uh, yes, Pete, how did Pete get the game ball? That's a great question. I asked him the same thing after. I said, what are you going to do with it? Um, he said, he'll put it on his shelf. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the the image or meme or whatever you want to call it going around of, of me and him dressed as the Talladega Knights characters for our trip to the ACC title game. Um, I was cast as uh, John C. Riley's character, which means... Pete, again, doesn't Cal let me win. Cal Naughton Jr. Cal Naughton Jr., that's it. He never lets me win. I mean, we're going to have to break up at some point. Um, he just doesn't let me win. So I, I need a game ball here at some point. Maybe if I had glasses, people would mistake me for uh, Pete in that picture because uh, for those who can't see me right now, I also am follically challenged, much like You do uh, have the Pete same haircut. And, that's true. Yes, and, uh, and Rob Hunt, the Notre Dame trainer, who uh, actually did receive the game ball today. Um, but you know, it's a long season. Um, we, we get 1% better each day and we look up at the end and hopefully we, uh, we have the hardware and the accolades to show for it. I, I will sit here and see the jealousy until then. You know who did not receive the game ball today, Matt? The members Bo of the defense is it? <laughs> that, that would be one. <laughs> I'm not sure he was allowed back on the plane. <laughs> so let, let's talk about that. Cause we, we've got to break down some defensive, well, breakdowns uh but you had florida not being able to stop texas a&m on the ground pretty much at all in at kyle field you had lsu getting shredded by missouri's offense you had alabama's defense get shredded but then alabama's offense destroyed Ole miss's defense uh our, our friend roger sherman over at the ringer figured out that 
Alabama got all but 41 available yards, essentially. There were, there were 41 more yards they could have gotten. They fumbled. Najee Harris got stripped on the one-yard line, and then there was one series where they punted from, their, from the Ole Miss 40. So they gained, I want to say, right at 700 yards, 41 they left on the table. And you know Nick Saban's going to on each one of those 41 yards uh, to his offense this week as he tries to dip into his bag of tricks and find a way to motivate this team that, uh, at least offensively, just looks absolutely unstoppable right now. Defensively, yeah, there's a little bit of work to do, especially with a pretty big game coming up on deck. But um, that, that was something. Um, it, it did feel like the Big 12. It looked like the Big 12. And Lane Kiffin being in the middle of it just added another layer of spice because you just didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know how he was going to react. And, you know, you want to wait and see what the postgame handshake was going to be like because, you know, what's more interesting than, than Nick Saban and, and Lane Kiffin squaring off? They seem to they seem to be okay with that. And, and the thing is, I think Lane is doing a very good job because we knew they didn't have much on defense at Ole Miss. But that, was, that was sort of a, a given coming into this season. We didn't know exactly how good they'd be offensively. We, we had a feeling they could do some stuff. They had two quarterbacks who did okay last year. Elijah Moore, a very good receiver, a couple good backs. But we didn't see this coming. I mean, this is 600-something yards on Alabama, 48 points on Alabama. I, I, I think Lane Kiffin's doing a pretty good job, Matt. I think you, know, you look at this and you say, okay, if he can upgrade the roster on defense – this this could be a really fun team to watch over the next few years. But the, the, look at the rest of their schedule. I mean, this could be a fun team to watch this year because it's all going to be shootouts from here there on There it is. Out. Yeah, I mean, if you ask any Ole Miss fan, player, or coach pregame, you're going to score 48 points tonight. Will you take that? I think they all think, yeah, we're, we're probably going to win that game. Um, they didn't, but I don't think you come out of that game hanging your heads if you're Ole Miss in the – third game of a first-year coach going up against the greatest dynasty of the modern era. Um, they're very, very exciting to watch. And not just because Lane Kiffin's Lane Kiffin. They're exciting to watch because uh, they're an electric football team, at least on one side of the ball. And uh, given some of the, the unevenness we've seen um, from the non-Alabama portion of the SEC so far, uh, there's an air of predictability, uh, unpredictability, I should say, to yeah, the season no doubt. that has not existed um, in quite some time, and it, it just you just don't know what you're gonna get week to week. I mean, the, the other school, Mississippi, has learned that the hard way <laughs> the last couple of oh, weeks. Oh, but by the way, <laughs> the air raid scored zero points, the defense scored two, and Mississippi State lost. So, the, the week where everybody went nuts, where every offense in the SEC went crazy, the air raid scored zero on offense. Can I just say 24 to 2 sounds like such a bigger ass kicking than 24 nothing. It does, doesn't it? It's, Just seeing that cricket. It really does. That is br- it, it was brutal to watch. I did watch a little bit of it. There was a there was a point where we weren't sure if Kentucky was going to break 100 total yards, but you were never <laughs> never worried about them losing the game. That's like Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky football is they're ground and pound, they're blue collar. They're kind of the same team every year in some ways. I mean, yeah, they have a Benny Snell one year who's better than what they usually have. Last year, uh, they take Lynn Bowden and just throw him at quarterback and kind of ran the same play every single play throughout the whole the season. And, it, yeah. and it was good enough. I mean, 
Um, I mean, no one had a better New Year's Eve than Lim Bowden last year against Virginia Tech, where he punches a guy in the face just outside of the like eligibility you can get kicked out of the game window, and then goes and beats him on a last-second touchdown play to send right. that and, and, and then into sends retirement. Frank Beamer into retirement with the the biggest nightmare drive you've ever seen in your life if you're a defensive coordinator. Yeah, it's it, it's it, very strange times in the SEC and and really in all of college football, but the SEC specifically. Because it does feel like almost anything can happen. Like watching Georgia Tennessee, that felt like the most normal game of Saturday, where the result okay, Tennessee hung in at first, they got a get they got gifted a touchdown at first, and then played a really good first half, and then Georgia just came in and, and, and Boa constricted them in the second half. And that felt normal. But nothing else about Saturday in the SEC felt normal, especially the game that the venue changed. So Missouri LSU was supposed to be played in Baton Rouge, but because of the hurricane, it was moved to Columbia. 45 to 41, it ends. LSU has four chances from the one. It ends on a a great defensive play, deflecting a pass right in front of Terrace Marshall, who had had a monster game. But let let me run some of these numbers by you, Matt. 45 points, 586 total yards, 406 passing yards, 11.6 yards per pass attempt, 180 rushing yards on 33 carries. That is what Missouri did to Bo Pelini, who is making, if I'm not mistaken, $2.3 million (laughs) this year to run LSU's defense, apparently into the ground. They got Florida next week. I mean, an angry Florida team. An angry Florida team that happen. can't stop anybody. <laughs> I know, but I mean, that's good, that can score on anybody, and it's going to score a lot of points against LSU and Popolini next week. I mean, this was as I was saying earlier, as far as the, the wackiness of the SEC this year, it's really unpredictable. I did the show with you two weeks ago, and we thought Mike Leach was was king of the hill, and Mississippi State was going to go and ruin everyone's plans, and uh, send Jimbo Fisher to one and three next week. We, and we may need to, to delete that episode. We may delete a lot. Let's just delete 2020 as a whole. Everyone who ends up not winning the national championship this year, which will of all of our (laughs) week one, and and that was not week one of the season, but week one of the SEC play. Of all of our reactions, that was the overreaction, overreactioniest of them. So I I warned you about Pitt that day. I will stay. I will. You did warn me about uh, Pitt. Everyone tried to warn me about Pitt. We we know this. But let, let's let's stick to Bo Pelini, who's having a worse day than I was when I tried to eat mayonnaise the other day. Let, let's listen to, to Ed Orgeron after the game and see where you think he is placing the blame. It was just all on the defense. We've got to get it fixed. Uh, but, you know, we've got to stay together. Uh, we can't blame it on the players. I told the players, I've got to coach better. We've got to coach better on defense. Uh, that's the second time that we give up so many yards and so many points, and it's just not LSU defense. We've got to get better. It's all on the defense, but we can't blame the players. We have to blame the coaching. So we know where this is going. Uh, do we need to get our friend Fo Pelini in here to uh, to defend himself? Uh, we we probably should. I mean, that would make for the greatest. I mean, he's having a field day right now. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> with no Nebraska to yell at for a couple more weeks and, and with only his alter ego to, to kind of become the, the avatar for everything that's gone wrong with LSU football since Joe Burrow and Joe Brady walked out that door. Uh, but, yeah, that was uh, 
an interesting way for Coach O to put it. It reminded me a little bit of uh, 2018 when they got shut out at home by Alabama, and he spent much of his postgame press conference talking about how we need to recruit better defensive linemen, I think was the position he singled out. Um, Which they, they have. <laughs> they have. I mean, they won the championship a year later, so like, I don't want to question anything he did before that, but – it's just a very weird approach to, to kind of take. I mean, I know he said we got to coach better and, you know, we got to do this better, but it's his program. I mean, he hired Bo Pelini. Um, but this I don't know if feeling, anyone thought it would be this bad like so very, far. But. Feeling like a very Matt Canada year. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah. this this feels like that year when they hired Matt Canada on the offense. And, you know, Pelini was one – I'm trying to remember, had Orgeron hadn't worked with Pelini at all. He had worked – Pelini so. had worked at LSU, but – I'm not sure they'd work together, and, and this is one I, I just don't know that this is going to work because you could say, well, the players need time to learn his system. I'm sorry. You have better players yes. than the teams you've lost to by a lot. Like, you um, should be think, able to I do mean, something. <laughs> the, the Missouri offense seemed to learn the Eli Drinkwood system just fine against that defense. Right. Um, yeah. Right, and and the thing is, you should be able to come up with something vanilla against teams like this and just out-athlete them. So I don't know where the disconnect is, but they're going to have to get that fixed. And it, you're right, it doesn't get any easier. They're going to Florida. That's a, re- that's a really sneaky, sneaky, tough schedule when you don't beat Mizzou. Like when you don't take care of business against yeah. the crossovers that were gifted to you. Um, Florida, I mean, I can't sit here thinking they're going to win that game. Uh I mean, Arkansas is not rolling over for anyone, as we've seen so far. Ole Miss can score on anyone, as we've seen so far. And maybe Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M got a second wind after today. I don't know. But um, that's – it's LSU. Like you said, they more often than not have better players on the field than the guys they're lining up against. And yet you look at that schedule and – Outside of predicting they'll beat South Carolina, I, I don't know if I – and I'll say now they'll lose to Alabama. I don't know – I mean, those all those games look a lot closer to 50-50 than they should be after well, today. This this game they're going to against Florida, Florida's offense is outstanding. I, I think that there's no question about that. Had another good offensive day today. They score 38 points. But this is the thing that the, the Florida people have been worried about. That defense – was terrible at Texas A&M. And it, it had shown some signs of weakness against Ole Miss, but, it, I mean, honestly, if you look at the Ole Miss right. game, they gave up 35 compared to what Alabama gave up. That's not so bad. <laughs> you know, they, they didn't give up a ton against South Carolina, but South Carolina's offense hadn't been exactly dynamic. But they Texas A&M basically took what they wanted, and uh, there were no stops by either defense in the entire first half. And then you had a, stop, a couple stops and a couple turnovers in the second half, and Texas A&M stripped the ball and, and recovered it right when they absolutely needed to. So uh, it was a huge win for Texas A&M because I think this schedule looks entirely different if they come out of Saturday with a loss. And now mm-hmm. you look at it and you go, okay, well, they're 2-1. and one. They, They've got winnable games coming up against Mississippi State, Arkansas, and South Carolina. Tennessee might be a toss-up. Ole Miss, eh, I don't know what that's going to be given what we saw from, from A&M's defense. LSU, I don't know what, what that is. Auburn, I don't know what that is. So they could be 5-1 and one going into that last four games, which they could 
Mm. I'd say they could win or lose them all. So I, I think, think you say about anything place. in the SEC right now. I mean, yeah. it, it's that's what makes it exciting. That's for sure. I mean, uh, I, I think Tennessee, Georgia, as you said earlier, is probably the game amongst all today in that league that went the way most of us expected it to. Um, but I mean, look at Auburn, Arkansas. We'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure. I mean, Arkansas got oh, absolutely. We, we can talk there. about that right now because I mean, it was a that was a crazy sequence at the end. Our, uh, Auburn is trying to drive for a field goal to win the game. Bo Nix says, "I'm going to clock the ball." He then fumbles the snap. He then spikes the ball, but he spiked it backward. And Arkansas as you watch, it. yeah, the Arkansas and Arkansas, an Arkansas player dives to the ball. It squirts away. An Auburn player tries to pick it up. An Arkansas player dives on it. Meanwhile, the entire time, the official nearest all these guys is blowing his whistle like crazy. So the officials blew it by blowing the whistle. That's where they, they messed up. The S- and the SEC released a statement later Saturday night saying it should have been ruled a backward pass. It should have been treated like a fumble. And they said because Arkansas didn't immediately recover. Now, Arkansas did move to immediately recover, but there was an official blowing his whistle as guys from both teams were trying to get the ball. Yeah, that that statement didn't do much for me other than to like protect their own, um, so to speak. You have every reason to be really, really upset right now if you're Sam Pittman and the Hogs. I mean, to play the way you did, coming off a big win last week, um, I, I, I just don't know what you tell your team if you're Sam Pittman. I mean, I just think that's... In some ways, I mean, I've never seen that before, right? I've yeah, never seen I a, haven't either. A, a, a spike. <laughs> so I, I'm guessing the officials haven't either. And the guy who was blowing the whistle was standing back and to the left, to quote Kramer, uh, for uh, Bo Nix. That is one so magic he, spike. <laughs> it really was. And we'll, we'll be looking at the film of that one 25 years from now with Keith Hernandez. However, I don't think there's any way to tell in real time from where that official was standing what happened. I also don't think there's any way to immediately recover it when it bounces a few yards back and right and trying to get the ball. And you there's get an it. Auburn player who I, I watched this a bunch of times after the statement. There's an Auburn player who's about to go pick it up. And then there's an official right next to him blowing his whistle and making right. the incomplete pass sign. And so how, who's to say that that didn't stop him from just reaching down and grabbing right. it. So it, they messed up the entire thing by blowing the whistle. But I'm with you. If I'm the official, like the referees near it, the center judges near it, if I'm one of those guys, I saw Bo Nix make the spike signal before the play began. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's a spike. I wouldn't even think about, was it forward or backward? It it reminds me a little of a Wisconsin ASU, I think in 20. Yeah. A little bit like that. They, they messed up the kneel down and, and, ASU ended up winning. Um, just a strange situation. I just, I mean, Auburn, Auburn really Auburned today. I mean, I, I don't know how else to describe it. The same way Pitt has gone out and pit, pitted. I don't know what the word is for them the last couple of weeks. I mean, Pitt absolutely pitted today. No question. The SEC this year kind of embodies what Auburn has been as a program as far as on any given day, you could look like the best team in the country. And a week later, you can look like you can't beat or excuse me, you look like Chad Morris is going to lose to Chad Morris's old team, uh, a team wow. that until last week had not won an SEC game since 2017, I believe. Yes, that's correct. Now, there is one thing we can say coming out of that game that I think 
no one will disagree with. Sam Pittman was an inspired hire for Arkansas. He has got those guys believing they could win after just losing and losing and losing and losing. And it's really fun to watch those guys play. Uh, you know, to watch Bumper Pool, the, the linebacker whose real name is actually Bumper because he had it legally changed because that's what everybody calls him his whole life. Uh, and then Felipe Franks, obviously, who's a grad transfer from Florida, uh, who was, you know, he's covered in mud, and, but they're still going and almost almost pulling it out. So I, I think you can look back, you know, Lane Kiffin and Sam Pittman are looking like the best offseason hires in the SEC. Hard to argue with that, and I'll be the first to admit um, I was wrong about Sam Pittman. I don't know if I publicly made any declarations, but I, I definitely scratched my head when they made that hire because it felt like a lot of hires do this day, in day and age, uh, just uh, an overcorrection of the previous guy. Let's go hire offensive line coach from the SEC after our spread guy couldn't make it work uh, after two years, after one and a half years. In Arkansas you want to know when I knew it was going to work for Sam Pittman? He he hadn't even hired his offensive coordinator yet. He he I think I'm sure he knew he was going to hire Kendall Browse at that point. But I was interviewing him on this podcast, and I asked him about his offensive philosophy, and what he basically said. I mean, he was basically throwing shade at what Georgia was running the last few years. But he basically said, "You can't win in football now without going up tempo, without spreading the field." I was like, "Okay, this guy is is not." a ground and pound, I'm an mm. offensive line coach, so I want to run out of the I formation kind of guy. He's a, he's a guy who looks at this thing holistically and is probably going to have a, a, an up-tempo spread when he gets it the way he wants it that has an offensive line that can actually move people, which you don't see that often, but when you do see it, it's very hard to stop. It's such a breath of fresh air, right? I mean, I, there's pretty much a bias against hiring defensive guys right now as head coaches because you want to win the press conference as much as you want to win games. And you're going to do that by saying, we're going to outscore everyone and have quarterbacks competing for the Heisman trophy every year. It's even harder. I'd imagine to get a head coaching job as an offensive lineman, let alone a power five sec head coaching job as an offensive line coach. Uh, That's part, part of why I was so surprised and why my expectations were, were very, very tame because I knew what was there, what he was taking over. And it just wasn't a guy who was on my radar. But so far, uh, I mean, it's been it's inspired. I think is the appropriate word, as you said, to, to describe let, it. Let me let me throw some names at you, though. We think about this. I might have a story on this in the works, possibly. Matt Campbell, offensive line coach. Mario Cristobal, offensive line coach. They they might know what they're doing a little bit. Few of them. Now, some of them don't want anything to do with a big right. Drop. Right. A lot of offensive line coaches want to coach their their unit, and that's it, and, and have no higher aspirations. But I say look no further than what Mario Cristobal has done at Oregon to know that, yes, there are some offensive line coaches who can put it all together at the top of a program as well. Absolutely. And Mario's a unique case because you look at where he came from, right? I mean, Miami, and not, not just not Miami 2020, Miami like the U. The, the, uh, the U, ones yeah, we, yeah. we have all the 30 for 30s about. So. Uh, he's completely changed the identity of that program um, from what we knew it to be in the Chip Kelly and, and the early part of the Mark Halford eras. Um, and they're just, they're tough. They're, they're very, very tough uh, in a conference that hasn't been all that tough so far. 
and he knows how to go out there and get the players because of where he's from and because of what he's seen um, as a coach and as a player. But that's interesting. Why I hadn't thought of it um, until maybe I'll think of it more when I read this possible story you mentioned. Uh, offense linemen, uh, excuse me, offense line coaches absolutely know what they're doing, and for the most part, I, I, I still think they don't really want to do much more than that, which kind of makes it more endearing, at least to, to people like me and you. Well, and I, that's the thing. I, I think part of the thing with Sam Pittman was nobody knew that's what he wanted. And a lot of that is the, the, the one voice philosophy at Georgia where you don't really get to interview assistants mm-hmm. very much, except at, you know, you were six bowl, bowl games. games. So we just didn't know that, that that was his aspiration. But he, behind the scenes, he was telling everybody. And, and I'm glad that Hunter Yurchek at Arkansas picked up on that, that, that – he got this whatever smoke signals were sent to him that Sam Pittman was interested because it, it really is looking like an inspired hire. And I really I look, I know they're one and two. I, I know that. But look at how tough they played Georgia mm-hmm. given what they have. Uh, you know, they beat Mississippi State. They should have won at Auburn today. So I mean I, I'm I'm impressed with them and, and I think there's other other games on their schedule that they can win when before the season started, I would have just assumed they're going going zero and ten. So, uh, this is this is going to be really interesting to to see going forward. Now, let's talk about somebody who used to play in the same conference as Arkansas, and that is Texas. So, Red River, such a strange game, such a strange game. Spencer Rattler gets benched, but then comes back, and then Oklahoma is is dominant in the third quarter. And they start the fourth up two touchdowns. And you think, okay, they're going to cruise to a win here. And then no. And then Texas comes back. very uh, Kind of similar to, to the way they came back against Texas Tech a few weeks ago. Force overtime. You get not one, not two, not three, but four overtimes. And it ends with, a, with an interception in the end zone. Oklahoma wins. Uh, the, the eventual game-winning touchdown was a throw to Drake Stoops. Son of Bob. I it was a great finish of a pretty nasty game. I, it's funny. I was thinking the same thing watching him. Part of me was like, imagine how much better this would be if both teams were really good this year and like actual contenders, right. the way they think they should be every year. But in some ways, like the fact that they're not added to the, the sloppiness, the mess, the excitement of it. Because there were points where it was, all right, who's going to screw up more? Um, especially when you've got a blocked field goal, a missed short field goal, a quarterback getting yanked, Ellinger having an incredible 25-yard touchdown run that should have absolutely not happened because it was the biggest no-call hold I can actually remember seeing. There's a lot of that um, going around on Saturday. <laughs> I feel bad for Sam Ellinger. Um, I, I really do. Um, that's a guy who bleeds Texas through and through. Uh, a guy who in many ways has, has – Put that program on his shoulders and who you know through virtue of his record last year i, I kind of read it off and thought all right I, i've heard enough of this guy i, I want to see him you know be consistent make con- texas consistently great uh before i keep hearing about him in all these conversations of great quarterbacks but then you watch him play not just today although today really embodied it but but the whole season this year it, it he, he looks as close to a one-man Power 5 football team as I've seen in some time. And the fact that it's at Texas, where it should be the easiest place in the world to get players, I, I think just doubles the frustration if you're a Longhorns fan. Oh, it's it, it's got to be horribly frustrating. And the thing is, this is the worst Oklahoma team in a long time. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma if you can't beat them this really year, like, what are we doing here, Tom Herman? Like, I, I don't know. 
And, and it, my thing with them is never really how they play Oklahoma, Matt, because they always play Oklahoma. No, tough. they always play them hard, even when they're, they it, play them hard under Charlie Strong. It's the fact that they can't beat the teams they're supposed to beat when it's not Oklahoma. And Oklahoma, meanwhile, usually does beat those teams, but isn't beating them this year. So uh, let's listen to Tom Herman talking about self-inflicted wounds at Texas. He's talking about this game, but it, it, he could be talking about his entire tenure there. A lot of them are, are self-inflicted wounds, um, and I'm, I'm disappointed. Again, it's my job to make sure that they don't happen. I, I, I do want to tell you guys, uh, we had a great week of practice, probably the best Sunday uh, after a loss that, that we've ever had in our program. There were tons of accountability, uh, tons of um, maturity, and really, really uh, – had a, had a great week of practice. Now, what, what we have to do is we have to find a way, find a way uh, mentally to do the things to translate uh, what we work on and we execute at a very high level in practice uh, to do that in a game. And, um, you know, that, that, that's all I know how to do. Uh, that's all we know how to do is go back to work, continue to rep the things that need to get repped to the point to where um, we're not out of position, to the point where our feet are in the right place, to the point where our hands are in the right place, to the point where we're in the right gap, to the point where we're blocking the right people. And, yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on. And, um, you know, we didn't have enough of that today, believe it or not. I, I, I did feel like we had more of it than than certainly last week against TCU uh, but the the result didn't didn't bear the fruit of that because we still had too many it's year three you shouldn't hear that in year three right you're you're four. Oh, you're four I, I can't even count anymore <laughs> it's, it's, that's right it is year four. Uh, wow it's year four I mean, for Leak and Riley all right that's all you need to know they took over different situations I get that incredible but I had the same reaction you did watching that just now was he sounds like a guy who's taking over a rebuilding program and it's year one, maybe year two, if you're a smaller school. Um, it does not sound like Texas football. Um, I, I thought the most appropriate analogy, and I'll quote my friend Rob Hunt, a.k.a. Pete Sampson uh, of The Athletic, he tweeted uh, after the game, Quote, Texas gives me all sorts of late Weiss-era vibes. Talented QB, oh. a coach who can't get the defense right. Good enough to beat anyone. Good enough to lose anyone. Probably needs an expensive reboot. End quote. I see no lie. Well, we just need him. We need Tom Herman to, to talk some smack about how everybody must have missed the, the giant Hawaii Bowl win against Hawaii. Because <laughs> I did see a Charlie Weiss uh, pep rally that featured that speech. It's fine. Of all the things you could say about Charlie Weiss to criticize, that wasn't one I was expecting, probably because there's I just, so many I, others. It was one of those where I'm standing there. I think it was before they played, before they played Stanford or USC one year, and I think it was his last year too. And it was, it was there was just so much bravado, and he was he was so proud. And I'm like, you're talking about beating Hawaii in the Hawaii Bowl, like like that's something. You're Notre Dame, for God's sake. Like, that, that sounds like something Tom Herman would say, though, right? Like, Yeah. You're Texas. Like, I don't, I don't know him particularly well. I, I've Personally, I've gone along great with him. I, I have no dislike or distaste for it. But, like, 
the way he talks, the stuff he's done publicly over four years, he makes himself a very easy target and a very easy villain where I think most of college football, both fan bases and probably those, you know, his peers elsewhere, probably take great joy in watching them lose every week. I, I, I just think that's, that's the situation Texas finds itself in right now. I just don't understand, and I realize this is, this is becoming a pretty common theme on this podcast, but I don't understand how you can have all of those resources yep. and your choice of whatever you need and, and basically your, your pick of players. And I realize at first he did not have his pick of players. There, there were a lot of out-of-state teams coming in and raiding the state of Texas, and I do feel like he kind of got that turned around, but... It doesn't matter at this point. You, you've got to be. He's not in the SEC West. Yes. He's not in the SEC West. Imagine, I mean, imagine if he'd taken that LSU job. I was just going to say, yeah, should he have taken that? I mean, <laughs> no, because <laughs> if, you, if you can't compete in the Big 12, you'd be destroyed in the SEC West. Did you think they should have gone for two uh, at the end of regulation when they. No. No. I, I didn't either, but I know it's a popular talking point. That's, that's what you. You know what you do? That that's what you do when you don't think you have a chance to win. Correct. You're freaking Texas. You should think you have a chance to win. So I didn't have a problem with that one. It, it, less in the macro, more in the micro. I thought um, Oklahoma's D didn't show any sign of stopping them, so I, I didn't want to. I didn't feel the need second, to take chances. Second OT was the other one where everybody was on him for kicking but the I, extra point. I look at the way Oklahoma played defense. I look at the way Texas runs his offense. I look at that short field you get in overtime, and I think. Run Sam Ellinger every damn play until his legs aren't there anymore, which they probably weren't at the end. And I feel bad seeing him, seeing that face of his as he throws a game-ending pick, knowing that he's the only reason that, knowing that he lost a four-overtime game, which is just crushing when you play that long and you don't get the spoils of victory, but knowing that he's pretty much reason A, B, and C they even got that far. And there's actually a funny... uh, image they showed during the game when Oklahoma scored, I want to say the game tying touchdown in the first overtime on a beautiful Rattler throw. Um, mm-hmm. They zoomed into to Ellinger and just said, wow. I mean, yes. I, yeah, I, it was great. That's when you know you have a good game. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No. It, and, and here's what I'll say about Spencer Rattler. He, he got rattled for lack of a better term in the first half and, and had some, the, the one moment where he just kind of threw it up to, to the Texas, mm-hmm. the entire Texas defensive line uh, was not great. But I tell you what, he looked great in the second half, and that guy, when he has some experience, imagine imagine He's when gonna, Spencer Rattler is yeah. a, a second or third year starter. Yeah, no, I, I have the same. Uh, I have the same thoughts watching him play. I mean, and he. Uh, He's always going to be compared to the guys who came before him because that's the standard that's been set at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. He does not have the offensive line that Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, and Baker Mayfield had. He is on the fly a lot. I'm sure some of it is his own doing, but he is chased out of the pocket so much, running for his life. Last week against Iowa State, he got zero help from his receivers. Um, that game was not on him. I mean, I know he didn't do himself any favors in the first half this week, but um, he at times looks like a redshirt freshman, but a really, really good one who's going to get much, much better and who's hopefully for his sake going to have better blockers and better pass catchers around him as time moves on. His ball handling is outstanding, by the way. There are a few times he fooled the camera in terms of who had the oh, ball yeah. in the read option. I, I, I commented that live. I, I thought it was more shoddy camera work than it was um, I don't, his I don't doing, think but so. it did happen. I think he's got a, a pretty good knack for 
at least making the defense blink for a second and try to figure out, okay, which, which one of them has it. Is it too early? I don't think it's ever too early when it's Texas, but like I've texted people. It's, is Texas going to be in the market this year? And if so, like who is it? Um, so, so here's, do we want to be the podcast that starts that conversation? I'm sure we're not starting it because I'm sure others We're not starting it. it. They're having Austin. it on, on all the Texas-centric radio shows and podcasts. And so here's, here's the thing. Logically, you don't do anything this year. There's a pandemic. Texas is an extremely image-conscious place. They're thinking, they think about optics a lot. But if this gets worse, because right now they've lost two games, and, and one of those games is Oklahoma. But if this gets worse, if they're sitting here... And it, it, it should be three losses. I mean, let's not act like they yeah. were world yeah. beaters. But if, if they're sitting at four or five Big 12 losses, they're going to sit there at the end of the season and go, you know what? I don't think we can have dead coach walking recruiting for us. And so the circumstances say you absolutely give Tom Herman another year. No question about it. But the reality of the situation at the end of the season, if it doesn't go well from here on out, it's going to be a little bit harder to say that because you're going to go, okay, how far behind are we going to be in recruiting if we do that? If, if everybody just assumes this – and remember, Sam Ellinger is gone after right? – mm-hmm. he doesn't have to be gone. But True. I don't know if he wants to come back to, right. to get pounded on more like this. So, I, I mean, that's, that would be crazy if Sam Ellinger decided to come back and, and you know, bail them out. But I just, I just don't know if the, if the, the record is – because they're going to play an 11-game schedule. So let's say they're six and five. I don't know how you recruit anymore at that point. You know, they had a decommitment this week, but they might not. They might get him back. We'll see. But it becomes really hard. And then the question is, who do you get? You know, I, I don't know. You'd have to throw a lot at Urban Meyer. You'd have to decide Urban Meyer is who you want. You know, I don't think USC was was in the market for Urban Meyer last year when they were considering. I don't think USC was. I, I don't know if I, – I think it's more on Texas than more on Urban. I mean, I, I don't know Urban personally, but I, I'd imagine he would walk to a job like Texas under any circumstance whatsoever if they wanted to stick their feet but in those But again, would, would they do that, given right. all the stuff around him, the things that happened at Florida, the things that happened at Ohio State? That right. it, Texas has always been traditionally pretty shy when it comes to that stuff. So I don't know. Because Bring back Mac Brown, baby. Well, okay. I was going to ask you, who's another <laughs> obvious candidate? Like, who who would who would you get? Bill O'Brien's got some time on his hands, but I don't think he that that doesn't sound no. like I, 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 that's not a job for him. I know that much. Um, he hates that the public stuff that comes with it. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, to backtrack a second, I don't know if this actually happened because of the pandemic. I do know in the off season pre pandemic. There were arrangements for Tom Herman to visit Notre Dame and talk to Brian Kelly about basically remaking your staff and right. rebooting your program while you're still the program. Because Brian Kelly did that after a 4-8 season in 2016 when everyone, myself included, left them for dead. And they're experiencing one of the best stretches, in pro, at least in my the, lifetime, but in program The difference history. is Tom Herman 
did the turnover this past offseason. Right. Like like Notre Dame did between 16 and 17. Notre and Dame it's instantly not working. got better. Correct. It's it's not working. Um, not to say that they're going to never win a game again and they're they're left for dead. No, but it, it's not where it's not having its desired effect. They did not make coordinator changes to start the season two and two um, under any circumstance whatsoever. And as you said, it's Texas. Like it, you just don't have excuses. You don't. And we keep saying this about everyone that's been there because it's been a while since they've been really, really good consistently. Uh, but, but I don't know. I mean, Urban's the obvious name because he's always going to be the obvious name for any big program as long as he's out there. I, I don't know because Tom Herman really seemed like, I mean, that was the natural home run hire. I mean, everyone wanted Tom Herman. Yeah. Um, he was in that state. He could recruit that state. He had the bravado. He was good with quarterbacks. He was going to be the opposite of Charlie Strong. And by the end of year two, it sure looked like it was trending that way. And now it's not. Um, it shows you how quickly I, these things can change. I'll give you another name if, if you if you want to go with active coaches, if, if Urban Meyer's off the table. Matt Campbell. Hmm. Because the assumption is Matt Campbell wants to go for a big, big 10 job. Right. And because that's where he's from. But would he turn down the Texas job? I don't, I don't think he would. And he seems like the type who builds teams that, that win despite some challenges. And I think you kind of need that at Texas. I think there's more challenges than people realize at Texas. I, I was doing some research on this this week, and, and our guy Matt Brown did some even deeper dives on this in terms of winning percentage and where Texas ranked in winning percentage in the country in various decades. There's only two decades where they were in the top 10, the 70s and the, and the aughts. So Daryl Royal and Mac Brown have gotten it done. Texas has never really gotten it done. They've got kind of like USC. It's kind of like USC in that regard. Very really similar to USC. Numbers. Yeah, like they had you know John McKay, John Robinson, Pete Carroll. Everybody else was pretty mediocre. So USC and Texas are pretty good comparison. Campbell's an interesting one. I mean, I I wouldn't fault Texas for doing everything it could to get him. Um, I naturally gravitated toward the same line of thinking that you did, thinking, all right, he'll be at Ohio State if Ryan Day goes to the NFL. He'll be at Notre Dame if Ryan Kelly retires. He'll be at Michigan whenever Jim Harbaugh's out of there. That's interesting one. You know, I think Matt Rule would have been I'll, perfect I'll, if he was still at college. Yeah, um, but I'll give, I'll give you an example. Here, here's, I, Matt. I, got, I got one. Well, I okay. got one, and this might be P.J. Fleck. Ooh, that's interesting. Is that, is that too similar to Herman? No. As far as just it's, the swagger. It's not, about, I don't think so either because it's different. PJ gets laughed at and people, you know, make fun of him, but like he doesn't go out of his way to like flip off a camera or do something stupid the way Tom Herman does to put himself in that situation. Um, but that's I mean, who PJ is. It's it's not an act. That's who he is, and it works. And he built the thing about PJ is he builds programs through recruiting which you'd think is what you should be doing at Texas. You know, he ha- he He'd get players a, there. I know that. Yeah, he took over a bad Western Michigan program, and it took a little bit to recruit to where it was a good one. Then he took over a, a decent Minnesota program and made it better by getting better players. So, you know, I, I don't know. That, that actually I, that works for me. Uh, the one I, w- I was going to give you as an example uh, with Matt Campbell is 
Remember when we all assumed Urban Meyer was going to Notre Dame because he had previously said it was his dream job and he had a choice between Notre Dame and Florida? He'd never worked in Florida, didn't know anybody in Florida really, but he took that job because it was closer to a national championship than Notre Dame was at the time. But is Texas closer to a national championship than any of the programs that we think Matt Campbell would be? There's probably. Okay. I mean, it should who do you, be. Who I do mean, you want to deal with? To win there. Yeah, you want to deal with Oklahoma or you want to deal with Ohio State? And when you they're put both, it in that they're way, both hard. It's 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 hard both, either well, way. Here's, here's the thing: much of not to take away from Ohio State success, but like there's a symbiotic relationship between Ohio State and Michigan. I mean, it's easier for Ohio State to be good and Michigan to be bad or not bad, but not great when the other's doing that. Um, so I think. I, I, I don't think that would be a deciding factor, if you will, if you're Matt Campbell or whomever, and you're potentially weighing uh, both job offers. I, I mean, I do think it's easier to win the Big 12, yes, but, you know, there's, as you say with Texas, there's a lot of politics that come with that job. I mean, it's Charlie not, Strong it's in some ways felt, think. Charlie Strong in some ways felt like a dead man walking before he ever coached a game there through, through very little fault yeah. of his own and, and through, things that I think people probably should have expected <laughs> knowing Charlie Strong uh, but before he got hired there. So I don't know. I mean, I had not personally thought of Campbell as a candidate for that. Not to say he couldn't be one. Luke Fickle's another game that gets thrown around for every oh, job. That would, that's another guy I think would, would get you what you want. He, he would get you the, the building, the, the re- recruiting on the line of scrimmage, that sort of thing. And, and knows what that's supposed to look like. He's been at Ohio State. He knows what a national championship contending team looks like from the inside out. So that that that, that works for me. Now, I, I feel bad because I don't think we should just immediately write off Tom Herman. Right. Because, again, it would take some fairly extraordinary circumstances, I think, for this to happen this year. It would have to go pretty bad the rest of the way. The problem is I I just worry that they're kind of on the precipice of that now. That, that if another, you know, maybe one more game just doesn't quite quite go their way, that you lose them. That and the recruiting, like you said, I mean, especially, I mean, not to overreact to one weekend for two teams, but if A&M actually turned a corner, which it looks like they might have at least on the field today, and I know Jimbo Fisher has the University of Florida's number, um, but that was a very impressive win for, for Texas A&M, and uh, we have the same conversation about Texas as we do with Texas A&M, right? It's like, why can't they figure it out? Like, they have everything they need to figure it out, and for whatever reason, neither can seem to do it. Uh, I know Texas has done it historically more than A&M has, but neither – well, I shouldn't say neither. Texas, in particular, is not in a great spot right now. Um, but I, I, I think you got to worry about what, what you mentioned. Um, do you get to a point where every week feels like a referendum and a drag, which seems to be – leaning that way right now? Does it get to a point where they're getting killed on the recruiting trail, um, which is going to happen um, the minute they lose another game? That, that's the nature of the beast. I don't know. Um, I, I sit here shocked on, I guess now officially it's October 11th, but I, hit, I, I sit here shocked that after all the talk about Texas, the new coordinators, uh, the Big 12 being down, you name it, we're four games in and we're having this conversation and it doesn't feel forced or exaggerated at all. Um, I just think no, that's we're, this the situation is, right now. This is not contrived. I just, I fail to see a logical 
way out if they lose a couple more games just because of the recruiting aspect of it down the road. Because you, you don't want to have somebody recruiting when you don't think they're going to be around. If, if it's just, well, we can't do anything because the circumstances this year dictate that the optics would be bad, that's not a reason. Right. Especially when you have resources to, to get it done. Matt, before do we go, I, I do want to talk about the ACC. We, did, we haven't talked about the ACC at all, <laughs> probably because the results were what we expected. But Clemson looked amazing. Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in college football. He will be highly coveted, <laughs> as we know, by NFL teams. Uh, Travis Etienne, we, we never really have given him proper credit for what he no. does for that team, but he was outstanding again. 17 carries, 149 yards, two TDs, eight catches for 73 yards. That's a first-round back. Why nobody thought he was a first-round back coming out of last year, I don't know. Like, he's back here because he wanted to improve his draft stock. Like, who thought he wasn't good enough? I, mean, I know. I, I love Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and I loved the Chiefs getting him. But can you imagine if the Chiefs had Travis Etienne right now? I, I spoke to someone at Clemson a day before Etienne came back, and I'm like, any news? They're like, we haven't heard anything, but we're just kind of assuming what you did. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why, why would he come back? Um I feel bad for the ACC defenders because he, more than any other back, at least playing right now, just act, inflicts real actual pain on those guys who go down to tackle him. Like, it, and he's so it looks fast, so easy. though. Like, the one on the left sideline, the long touchdown on the left sideline, I can't remember if that, 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 no, it was a run. It was a run because he didn't have a catch for a touchdown. And the, the body control to not go out of bounds and then the acceleration. Because Miami has some really fast players, and he just blew past them. I mean, it, was in, it was incredible. And how about the flex in the first half of them just throwing D, DJ Ui Ungalale in the game and running him straight up the middle and then letting him throw one just to say, oh, by the way, if anything happens to Trevor, <laughs> we're going to throw this at you. I, I sat down with Travis... 2018? Yeah, it was the year they won the national title. I sat down there midseason. Uh, he was wearing a t-shirt and shorts, uh, hours before practice. <laughs> His thighs were like the size of my body. Like, it was just like, this is insane. And, and he wasn't really on everyone's radar at that point. I mean, there was, I wrote it in the story at the time, uh, one of the Tiger shops uh, on College Abbey over there, on their marquee said, like, Justin, number nine Nike jerseys. Like, he was like, ooh, who's this new guy? Like, in addition to this brand-new quarterback we got in Trevor Lawrence. He never really – I believe he's a back-to-back ACC player of the year, and I still don't think he gets nearly enough credit. He is, and, I mean, and he's probably going to win a third one. I mean, maybe they give him Trevor just to balance it out. But Is he on Heisman? I mean, he's putting up numbers that are Heisman-worthy, and he's not getting the necessary uh, workload that, that one would usually need to do that, especially as a running back. But, I mean, he's just unbelievable, and especially, as you said, in the passing game. Where did this come from, right? Um, especially in a year where they might not have those proven explosive junior senior receivers um, being down Justin Ross this year um, and losing T. Higgins from last year. Uh, not much different of a Clemson team, but but still one that maybe has to rely on Travis Etienne a little bit more than it, it would have in recent years. And I mean, we haven't done our Heisman uh, watch yet uh, on our side because we're waiting for the, the Big Ten to come back uh, in two weeks, but. 
I'm not, I haven't seen too many players that have looked more impressive week in and week out than that guy has. And let's let's give some credit to Clemson's defense here because one mm-hmm. of Miami's touchdowns was a blocked field goal yep. scoop and score. So they only gave up one touchdown. The the reason Clemson's defense was so dominant tonight, and it, it partially it's what they did. I think some of it was a choice by Miami that was a bad choice. So Miami's three backs, Cheney, Harris, and Knighton, they combined for 10 carries for 11 yards. <laughs> this offense, and I said this with Auburn last week against Georgia. Remember, Gus Malzahn kind of founded this offense. Rhett Lashley played in it in high school, uh, worked with Gus Malzahn for a long time. So this, the, their offenses are very similar. This offense does not work if you cannot run the ball between the tackles. Derek King was the only threat of run, to run the ball for Miami tonight. You have no chance if your quarterback run is all you got. If you cannot run the ball with someone besides your quarterback, you have no shot because your, your pass game is not going to work either. You have to I was going to say, I was gonna say it's, it's not just the run game. King went 12 of, 18, excuse me, 12 of 28 for 121 yards, two interceptions, and I believe most of those yards came late when it was over. And he was sacked four yeah. times. Um, no, I mean, the, 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 they – once you're made one-dimensional in that offense, you can't do anything. It's exactly what Georgia did to Auburn last week. And it's, it's – I'm not ready to go and say, like, Notre Dame's going to beat Clemson or, or, or even scare Clemson yet, but it does set up a very nice game on November 7th when you look at the makeup of both teams because Notre Dame has what, through three games, might be – the best offense line in the country and has yeah, a pair and of they backs and they who, will run the ball right up your guts and, and they you, did with you, Florida State. They might be able to play ball control against Clemson, which I'm not sure anyone's been able to say. And the, the biggest question for Notre Dame last year was the rushing game. This year, they got a redshirt freshman Kyron Williams and a true freshman Chris Tyree, who both ran for 100 yards a night. And they've they're still not really healthy at receiver. I, I don't know how good the receivers are when they are healthy, but we haven't seen anything. And this is not to take away from me and Buck, who's been fine, but we haven't really seen what this offense can do yet. Um, they're, they're playing the last three games against three overwhelmed opponents the way they should by running the ball down their throats, scoring. Thank you. Have a nice day. Um, come back next week, do the same thing. And I, I don't see that changing between now and November 7th or Notre Dame. I mean, they're, they're going to win every game between now and then by, by multiple touchdowns, I think. 42 carries for 353 yards and four touchdowns on the ground for Notre Dame. That was outstanding. At, at, at halftime, at halftime, Andy, I wrote this down. They had 12 yards per carry and 11.4 yards per completion. Woo. Yeah, it, it, it was humming. Now, signs of life from Florida State's offense with Jordan Travis at quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, uh, they showed me a lot tonight in a 16-point loss. That was and good for Mike Norvell. He got the moral victory question and, and said exactly what you should say when you're Florida State's coach. We're not here for moral victories. We're here to win. It's an improvement, but it's not good enough. That's the right answer when you're Florida State's coach. And I saw a lot more optimism from FSU Twitter on Saturday than I've seen all season. So uh, perhaps they've maybe found something. I don't know if they've, I think, turned a corner is probably a no, too but, strong I mean, mistake. They, look, they looked left for dead through two weeks and even through the first half of that Jacksonville State game. I mean, they were so uninspiring. And even tonight – with Jordan Travis there, I mean, they played till the very end. I, I, again, no moral victories at Florida State, but when you're digging out of the hole that they've dug for themselves largely over the last three or four years, um, 
I can't help but come out tonight feeling a little bit encouraged if I'm a Florida State fan because well, it went here's, from here's, here's I went from thinking they might not win a game the rest of the year to hey you know they're going to win a few games this year which isn't much but it's it's something they got to deal with Sam Howell next week that's that's mm-hmm. that's the problem you know North Carolina I think finally got got they their finally yeah. figured out so the 56 to 45 win against Virginia Tech and and Justin Fuente said after the game you know they're they're so limited on defense it, it was something had to give at some point and that it, it was it was on Saturday. I believe that was the first game for Justin Hamilton, right? Bob yes, Foster it was. Placement. Yeah, not not a great, <laughs> not a great debut. No, now, not not ideal circumstances. Um, but I mean, if I have one grand takeaway from this Saturday, the ACC looks like the ACC again. You know, I mean, I think a lot of us got excited over the first couple of weeks, thinking it's going to be. Maybe Clemson's not as great as they always are. Maybe they'll get a challenge from Miami. Maybe the middle's much better than than it's been in recent years. And everything kind of went back to normal today. I mean, Pittsburgh, again, went to Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> North Carolina. But at least I didn't bet on finally, Pittsburgh today. Yeah, right. North, North no Carolina's offense. That I must eat. <laughs> finally broke out. Virginia Tech, which looked really good uh, two weeks ago and, and pretty good last week kind of came back down to earth as we kind of all expected at some point, given the personnel losses they've had. Even, you know, NC State, which looked at Love for Dead two weeks ago, two two uh, wins on the road in back-to-back weeks. Uh, Virginia, which looked promising against Clemson, quarterback gets hurt. They don't look so good this week. Um, the AC is kind of back to me. The AC, Louisville, a team that I, I think I had third in my preseason predictions. Yeah. It's not looking like a third-place team right now at all. Ah, Je- Jeff cre- Sims looking pretty good. And, uh, Credit to Georgia Tech. I mean, yeah. they're so far ahead of schedule than where I thought they'd and, be this and year. And Gibbs, um, their, their freshman tailback at Georgia Tech. I, yeah, I, I think Georgia Tech, they're not there now. I think they will be an interesting team in the ACC probably as of next year. I think they're headed yeah, that I, way. I, I, I think so, too. Um they're, they're already much better than I, I had any reason to think they'd be um, coming today. Another one that was eye-opening for me, Duke ran for 363 yards today against Syracuse, who ran for just 28. Ooh. Duke wins by 14 points on the road. Duke looked like one of the worst teams in all of Power 5 football through three games so far. Chase Price could not get anything going. He even got yanked at one point this game, but was better when they put him back in. Um, it was just a very go-ACC kind of day. Well, and, and we have not we have not talked about the most important play of the day in the ACC, and that is Alim McNeil's interception return for touchdown. That is one of the most athletic plays you'll ever see by a 300-plus-pound man who wears number 29. Well, not only that, Virginia had a quarterback with number 36. Did you see that? It was. When Brendan Armstrong? It was one of those days. Doug Doug Flutie would have been proud of that number. (laughs) Lindell Stone. Number 36. And he threw the ball. I, I, I looked up and I thought it was a gadget play when I saw it. It was on my second screen of the new window. And I'm like, wait, did number 36 just throw the ball? And then he's still in at quarterback. And he has this kind of like weird <laughs> he's, sidearm. He's not a running back. He's yeah. got this weird yeah. sidearm. I don't know. It just doesn't look all that natural. Maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me because he's number 36. It, it, by the way, it's I, 1923 and the fullback is your leading <laughs> passer. So, since we're in the ACC, uh, maybe you shouldn't look this up if you are uh, have a queasy stomach. Check out the eye, the left eye of Liam Eikenberg 
Notre Dame's left tackle. Oh, I don't want to see that. I saw I saw him holding it as he was coming off the field. That did not. He came back in in the second half, and boy, I mean, if you can make a statement um, as a football player, I can't think of a bigger one than that shot of Liam Eikenberg uh, on one of the best offense lines in the country, uh, the, an offense line that did whatever it wanted tonight and, frankly, has done that all season. Um, I, I joked with Pete on the Shamrock, if they win the Joe Moore Award again this year, I, I want those five figurines that have eye patches and, and face masks uh, to, to celebrate 2020 and everything they've all had to go through. It was, it was just such a gritty. Every football cliche you want to throw out there, it, it was great. I mean, I just hats off to him. That's uh, it was incredible, and I'm glad I did not see it because it probably would have looked like <laughs> what it looked like when I tried to eat mayonnaise the other day. Never we bet on pit about kids. that anymore. Never ever. Bet on Pitt. That is the lesson that we learned, and I'm glad I learned it before this week because if I'd had something else writing on Pitt this week, it would have been even worse because that's an even <laughs> worse way to lose. So I'm, I'm just right. glad no one was harmed in the making of this podcast. Exactly. So hopefully you have made some delicious breakfast and, and you were sitting down to brunch with the family. Remember, tell all your friends about this podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. Maybe not in that order. Maybe you subscribe first, then you rate and review. We'll take your five stars anyway we can get them. But also consider subscribing to The Athletic. That is the company that employs Mr. Fortuna and myself. And we think that it does a really good job. We think it's the best deal in sports writing. So subscribe to The Athletic. You get the best college football coverage in America, deepest, broadest college football coverage in America, and great coverage of the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, there's a lot going on right now, and we've got it all covered at The Athletic, so go to theathletic.com and subscribe. And it has been a pleasure. Matt Fortuna, it has been a joy to break down yet another wild week in college football. Next week, Alabama, Georgia. Let's start start the hype train right now. Bring on the takes. Will Nick Saban lose to an assistant finally? Maybe? Guess we'll have to wait and find out. Thanks for listening.